Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Brambling Rex. Welcome to episode number 103 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, great to see you again. Good to see you, Jason. So I think this week we're going to try not to talk about the ETF, right? I mean, it's been all the news for so many weeks. I'm sure we'll have to touch on it, but there's a couple of things that I've seen here lately that were just interesting tidbits that I, I think are worth talking about. And the first one is growth in, in crypto. And in 2023, the world crypto users grew about 23%, and they're now at about 580 million users, which is just interesting to kind of know, right? And, and see that we're, we're getting close to that 1 billion. Yeah, I think I saw something that that mentioned crypto users up in the 500 million range. So that's that's a good number. I think that there's an element of like a slow start as the earliest adopters get in. And the bigger that number gets, the faster that number gets bigger, if that makes sense. So yeah, I'm I'm hearing more and more people deal with it and I'm seeing more and more stuff outside of like my phone that's designed specifically to give me crypto information. So that's good. Well, you're going to get a new saga. I think they're coming out with a new Solana saga phone that's cheaper than and actually available. Oh, yeah. I think. Yeah. So so that's exciting. I mean, from 432 million to 560, 80, that's, that's a decent growth. And we're on path to a billion, right? I mean, I think that the initial thought was sometime around like 2030. Right, twenty twenty eight, something like that. So that's still very much in play at this point. I mean, if we added a hundred million last year, we should add more than that in twenty twenty four, and then more than that in twenty twenty five. So I would think I would think we'd hit a billion in two years. well before twenty twenty eight. Yeah, yeah, it was one hundred fifty million last year. So I mean, even if you stick at that same rate, you're talking about three hundred million which puts you just shy of a billion here shortly so yeah but you should see compounding like adoption compounds so you should see you know especially if the 150 new crypto players from 2023 are already up on their investments in air quotes if they're already up and talking about it and then 2024 does what everyone expects it to do and they're up even more than, you know, the previous 450 million people are, their friends are probably tired of hearing it, but the new ones, <laughs> they might be talking more. So I, that's the way I see it. It, it. Like the more people that get in, the faster additional people get in. So, and the more people playing with it, you'll have more people really dive in and try to figure out new ways to use things and use cases, things like that. So I think that's, it's good. It's good for the, it's good for crypto. Well, we've been talking to that regulation actually is going to help when people feel comfortable being in crypto and the ETF approval definitely helped, but there's still a lot of question marks going on. And, and right now, even the SEC and Coinbase are in court battling on whether or not to pursue the lawsuit that the SEC has against Coinbase. And it's funny, I don't know if you paid much attention to it, but they are uh, now pretty much arguing whether Beanie Babies are considered a security or not. <laughs> it has become a, a next level of conversation where we're not talking about crypto anymore. We're going back to 
the Beanie Baby. Yeah, well, the the judge seemed like she was pretty favorable towards Coinbase, and it seemed it seems like the crypto world wins a lot in courts against the SEC. Like when you know when small number of intelligent people get to really look at this, I think that it, they realize like, okay, we can't use. It's, this judge is actually like, hey, we might not be able to use these hundred-year-old laws in order to, and interpret them in a way for these new digital assets. And I, I think that's kind of how they wandered into, you know, our collectibles securities because you buy them with the expectation of selling them at a higher price later. And I think that Cynthia Lummis sent in a letter to the to the judge that said. Hey, Congress pretty much should write new rules. These are a different breed of investment vehicle or something to that effect. And the judge is considering that. So I don't think that they'll get a motion to dismiss this case. I think they'll keep going. And but I think it's I think it starts out in a favorable situation. And also the judge is really knowledgeable about the crypto industry and is seemingly very fair to Coinbase and not just like kind of fighting against innovation and development. So, I, I, I mean, if I was the SEC, I would be staring down the barrel of another loss in the courts. And so I, to give it to me, you know, like, let's let's go, let's kind of hash this stuff out. And yeah, if Congress has to pass legislation, that's not going to happen for another 18, 24 months. So, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah, no, I, I've been reading a lot of positive things definitely going on from that judge. And it's one of those where I have mixed feelings where, yes, it'd be great to throw the file out, but it'd also be really good for this to actually happen and to clear up a lot of uncertainty around how things are viewed. So it it could cause some problems, some some small roadblocks or road bumps, I guess maybe I should say, down the road. But I think overall, this is definitely looking like it's going to be a positive thing long term. Yeah, I also read that Coinbase's attorney is like top notch and everyone should expect to get the best or everyone that's on team Coinbase here should expect to get the best result possible. Like you're not you're not going to do you're, you're not going to do poorly in the court because you picked the wrong attorney. They the, the attorney they have is supposed to be uh like not like undefeated, I guess, but a guy that doesn't, he doesn't really lose in cases that he, that he should win. So I say, give it to me, you know, if the SEC wants to, wants to play the games where they're going to keep passing regulations as if the world is starving for more regulations, then it's time for some pushback. And I think that, I think the, the biggest sticking point for that whole case is like the Coinbase earn component of it where they're getting yield but the genesis of it is it's you know the sec basically said these 13 tokens are considered securities and rattled off them and i think we talked about it just over a year ago and we named them too because we were kind of trying to keep track of which which tokens the sec is actually considered securities uh and now that now that we're here it's like it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. matter which ones they named because I think they're going to get XRP is already kind of established that you could be a you can be a security and then convert into a commodity as it hits it hits 
exchanges and is traded outside of that, which I, I thought was strange, but it's precedent and that matters from a legal standpoint. So yeah, let's see what happens. I think it'll take a long time. Yeah, it was kind of a, let's pull 13 out of a hat and say these are securities right now, and then we'll worry about the rest of them later. It's kind of crazy. But so speaking of the SEC, and they, what, a month or two ago, went after Binance and settled for $4.3 billion and all that good stuff. Well, if you look at Binance now, that hasn't really stopped them at all. If you look at January to date, they still have about three hundred three and a half billion dollars of new inflows this month so i mean they're still they're bigger than coinbase they're they're i mean i think they're like half of all the volume in crypto around the world right and partially because they give access to a lot of different coins that everybody else is scared to give access to so there's thousands and thousands and thousands of coins most of them you're going to find them on on finance and finance is owns coin market cap too so i don't know if you play around and look for coins on coin market cap but you usually find them on coin market cap before you find them on coin gecko so yeah it's it hasn't really stopped the crypto industry in general at least from a binance perspective and now they got rid of cz and there's a new president in charge i mean a new ceo it's it's still looking very good for the binance team yeah binance also has the advantage of providing a lot of leverage that you don't see on every other exchange. So not in the United States, obviously, because they have to tread lightly, but elsewhere people can get on there and really gamble and and kick the turbo chargers on, on gambling through 50 to one leverage and stuff like that. So that's, that's a big advantage that they've got. And plus they've got just when, you know, the network effect of being big helps you get bigger. So yeah, the, I, I read somewhere that the fine was going to be no, not a really a big deal for them to pay. And then they also have like SEC individuals on site at Binance monitoring their, how they operate. So that's about as thorough as you can be. And so, yeah, if you clean up Binance, you know, it just, all of this stuff kind of helps pave the way for crypto to mature into an investable market for serious older like boomer level investors well i think one of the other big things that needs to change is the thought that there's a ton of crime going on in crypto and you're starting to see a lot of those misnomers i mean if you read about crypto in general everybody was thinking that bitcoin was that main coin that everybody was using and and that's that's changing right everybody the, the scammers and all the people using it legally are getting away from Bitcoin because it's a public ledger and going to stable coins. But if you look at last year, the crypto crime is down 29%. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely headed in the right direction. Uh, I think everybody would love for it to be zero, but from a stolen crypto perspective, 0.34% of all transactions on the blockchain were stolen crypto transactions. And I think a lot of those were, kind of snuffed out, but that's about $24 billion in in crypto. If you look at 2020, it was 0.42% and 39 billion. So, I mean, you're, it's definitely coming down. And as people realize kind of that Bitcoin is not the place that you want to be to try to do stolen crypto, because people can find out who you are a lot easier than some of the other stuff. So 
it's, it's going in the right direction for sure, which is exciting to hear. Yeah, now that, especially in the United States, <clears throat> the majority of the on-ramps and off-ramps have KYC. Great, you have Bitcoin that you got nefariously and the only way people identify you is through your public address. But in order for you to convert that Bitcoin into good services or, or US dollars, you almost have to go through a bank or something similar. So, I, you know, it's going to be Bitcoin's not your best way to do it. And I, I, I don't know enough about all the other crypto, you know, from a privacy standpoint, but you still have to turn it into into cash. So if you're in the United States, that's going to be tough. I'd imagine other countries, it's probably easier. But I think that you've got the situation where early adopters of technologies are a lot of times like maybe criminal behavior, but maybe just not socially acceptable behavior. Like cell phones and pagers were drug dealers and, you know, streaming Internet was pornography. So, you know, those guys jump in and do all that stuff. And then normal people find uses for it that are way better and more profitable and Netflix and things like that. And so before long, you've got a ton of users on the good side and then the number of criminals and stuff stays the same. And so it just kind of gets dwarfed. So as this kind of crypto Bitcoin adoption goes up by the majority of the population, which is just law abiding people, the number of nefarious stuff, it, it stays the same at worst, right? Uh, I think they'll find other ways, but so yeah, it's just going to go away. And if you compare, like Elizabeth Warren said it again, like with the with the approval of the ETF and Bitcoin and crypto getting kind of back into the news, she's back on her, you know, in front of her podium talking about nefarious use of crypto. And it's like, if you shut down 100% of crypto, nefarious use would have no idea that you did it. It's so insignificant in the in the grand scheme of, you know, human trafficking, drug stuff, everything. It, just, it they wouldn't even know. It, they could easily switch to whatever, switch back to U.S. dollars or or into whatever they're doing. So I think it makes headlines for the people that only read headlines. It sticks in their brain, but in reality, it doesn't matter. Oh, and you pay attention to those headlines, especially all these huge hacks that do happen. It's hundreds of millions of dollars or whatever it is, tens of millions of dollars, or just millions of dollars. All of a sudden, the person that gets it realizes, oh, crap, how do I get this out of here? And most of the time, they end up sending it back to where it came from. And they almost are getting a finder's fee for finding the problem and helping to fix the problem. So it's turning into, yes, I was able to do this. So here's your money back. Give me a million dollars, whatever it is. And now I've fixed one of your security issues moving forward and, and make your network a lot stronger from now on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember like the colonial pipeline hack where they got, I don't even remember what crypto they used to get the ransom, but like everything they shut down and found like 80% of it within a week. And the headline was colonial pipeline hacked all this, you know, information. And then them actually getting the money back never made the news. If that was cash, you're, they'd be gone. Yeah, exactly. No way to track it at that point. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about what's going on in the rest of the world, because I think it's it's good to pay attention to. I mean, I know we, I'd like to think that the U.S. and their push on innovation is going to change everything. But from a crypto perspective, they are not 
innovating or leading in innovation these days. But one of the other companies or countries that we've kind of talked about in the past has been China. And what's interesting with China right now is their currency is is really struggling, right? So, which I guess is good for the U.S. because that typically strengthens strengthens the dollar and the DXY, which is what everybody pays attention to, the strength of the U.S. dollar, which means that when the dollar strengthens, typically Bitcoin weakens. So, with all that happening in China, there is still that chance that Bitcoin starts to trend down for a little bit until uh, that ship gets righted. But I guess that's just something to pay attention to these days. Yeah, the global macro stuff is really the tide, you know, and and the waves are the ETF and, you know, judgment calls by different court cases. These things kind of lap against the shore, but there's some major shifts due to a lot of it seems to be with China still, even though they've, mm-hmm. you know, banned it 14 times and all that, but it, it seems to matter a lot. And, you know, we're in kind of a, a period of price decline, like short-term price action decline that, you know, the ETF sell the news piece and this exchange rate issues. And so, yeah, for me, to me, we're just in a normal period of kind of the ups and downs. Because we, the United States does not want a strong dollar for very long, you know that that it's it, that doesn't that doesn't help. Uh, yeah. So talking about the decline, I guess one of the things to kind of throw out there, and and not that this is the only thing, but FTX kind of made its way back into the news again because they sold close to what was it a billion dollar a billion shares worth of G or a billion dollars worth of GBTC which I think GBTC overall was down about 2.1 million in their outflows, right? So half of their entire outflow came from FTX. Uh, so Bitcoin, I mean, that's a lot of money to go down. I mean, a lot of the other guys, are, I mean, BlackRock went over a billion dollars in the first week. So uh, I think Fidelity did too, right? So there, there's still a lot of money flowing in, but when you have that much outflow, initially it's, it's going to affect the overall market. Yeah, uh, the GBDC selling pressure is, I mean, the good news is it's not going to last forever, uh, whether it's after if it's tied to BlockFi's and all these other, you know, 2021, 2022 problems that are just now kind of being resolved. But yeah, I mean, keep blaming Sam Bankman Freed for uh, screwing up crypto. But the, but I think that, I think that the maximum that FTX had I found their the number of shares they had, and it was something like 22 million shares of GBTC. So I was like, okay, it was like 36 bucks. So I kind of calculated like 900 million. And so if they sold a billion, those two numbers kind of came together. And so they should be getting close to exhausting the, the, the requirement to sell there. So that would be a good thing. Just even if it's just for the, the optics of the ETF reducing their sell pressure then because I'm, I'm sure that the new genius wall street guys are just wait are waiting for that as as like a buy trigger or something because they've got it all figured out now so i think that'll be useful yeah i mean the other thing that we kind of saw too is that the bitcoin futures volume dropped by like 75 percent during all of this and i mean the thought is of course you have a spot etf why would you ever go to the 
features ETF, <laughs> if that's the case. But there's still been a lot of people that have come out and said, because of some of the currency issues and things like that, I mean, there will be a flux, so they need a way to hedge when when something happens and it still takes because it's it's not in kind it is cash that has to go in and out so the futures etfs will be something that everybody continues to use to provide that hedge so they're they're not going anywhere but they're definitely not going to be what everybody's using moving forward since now they actually have access to spot etfs yeah i mean i, I saw where they're applying for like inverse ETFs, 2X leveraged ETF, ETFs, 3X leveraged ETFs. So we'll see a bunch of different different products at the market over the next six months and a year. Yeah, and it should even Hong Kong is exploring launching some spot Bitcoin ETFs as well. So, I mean, it's, I think they have about 10 companies that are looking into it. And of course, they already have features in Bitcoin ETFs. Right. <laughs> but that no spot, yeah, but no spot ETFs. So it's... Everybody's kind of falling in line at this point. I think the other thing too that's interesting going on in the world is the elections for Indonesia are happening in I think about three weeks, something like that. And what's turning into a little bit of a talking point over there is what's going to happen with crypto. Because I think the current regime has been somewhat pro-crypto and planning to make even some more crypto policies happen if they get reelected. But they're definitely, they have quite a few different parties going after this, unlike us, which usually only has two. They, they seem to have multiple. But the some of the other people that are opposing the government are going to kind of shut down crypto and, and try to push them back a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens over there and if the, the populace over there is actually a fan of crypto and make the decisions on who's going to be the next president based on that, or if there's something else going on. Great. I, I mean, go ahead and, and put it up on the ballot because I feel like the people that are into crypto at this point are more likely to vote than the people that are like so anti-crypto that that's not something that I think gets non-voters off the couch to go vote because they don't like crypto. But I think for people that are into crypto, especially if they're like, have any significant portion of their net worth into crypto, I think that'd get them off the couch to go go put a ballot in a ballot box in their favor. So I, I'd say go for it. Let's, let's start duking this out. Well, you're seeing that in the US, right? I mean, Trump just came out and said he's going to say no to a CDBC, which is great, right? I mean, he, he, I think he, he was very pro-crypto back in 2016, and then when he got in the office, he wasn't as pro as what he, we kind of thought he was going to be. Now he's talking about the CDBC, which I don't think anybody wants, although I don't think we're very close to having in the U.S. too. So I think there's a lot of other issues in crypto that we could talk about other than the CDBC, but it is a, a simple talking point and a way to provide a lot of fear for a lot of people right now. So that's been kind of interesting to hear the rhetoric going around with CDBCs. Yeah, but I think a couple, I have a few thoughts on this one. I think that's Vivek. I think Vivek got to him uh, and after after he dropped out of the race and endorsed Trump. I think he was like, hey, go ahead and, and get these crypto guys on your team. Because I've been, I, I mean, he, he'd been on several podcasts and I think he sees the, the, there's a kind of a voting block there. 
And so he's like, hey, look, you don't have to say you're pro Bitcoin. You don't have to say, but like, just make sure you let people know that you're not going to introduce a central bank digital currency. And I think from a political standpoint, and we're not a political podcast, but if you're Trump and whatever you say, the, the other team has to be the opposite. You're really putting the, the blue team in a position to figure out what the heck they're going to do here, because I don't think I don't think saying, hey, yeah, we're we're the opposite of him. So we're going to be pro central bank digital currency. I, I don't think that's a winning move. So it's like as far as political chess pieces go, that's kind of a funny one to play and go ahead and play it first just to go ahead and get that voting block on your on your side, because. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just be honest. It's mostly young people, right? Like crypto people are mostly young people, so that's you know, it's it's one. It's nice that crypto is already in the in the conversation. You know, we're in January for a November election, so at least at least we're we're kind of getting a little bit of airtime on that. But yeah, go for it. I mean, DeSantis was anti central bank digital currency, so the the Republican Party seems to be adopting like a pro. Not a, not not necessarily a pro crypto standpoint, but an anti CBDC standpoint, which, you know, it's fine with me. Yeah. So speaking of Trump, to kind of talk about NFTs a little bit, <laughs> he has now jumped over to the Bitcoin ordinals. I don't know if you've heard much about this, but he had his Trump cards that were on Ethereum that didn't sell very well, although he still made millions of dollars. He is now saying if you buy a hundred trump cards on ethereum he will give you the a bitcoin ordinal nft on the bitcoin network so he's doing 200 of these bitcoin ordinals and i guess it's trying to sell more of his his trump nfts and they're not it's funny the disclaimer is this has nothing to do with political campaigns yada 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 and it's just it's kind of funny to see (laughs) yeah i mean you know it's it's pretty wild to see either political party like have nfts much less ordinals on bitcoin you know like <laughs> that's that's kind of funny to me and it, uh, yeah, whatever i i don't the more i get into bitcoin the less i identify with any sort of political party so it kind of has <laughs> gotten me out of the fray and so like without any sort of emotional response it's like okay like you know put it out there maybe it works maybe it doesn't but it's it's like everything i mean it, it, there's a game theory component to this so yeah maybe not even this election but next election they might look back and be like oh man this the, the nft fundraising like all they do is send a text message that says hey this is blue team or red team send us money here's the link if you just said hey send us money and we'll send you an nft Maybe like at least it's something more than nothing. All you get is more freaking emails if you donate money to these guys. Yeah. Like I would if you if it, if I could pay them to stop sending me emails and, and text messages, I would do that. So I, I think there's there's got to be more people like me that are like, can I just buy my way out of this? Well, I, I think what he actually did was kind of interesting too, and, and I'm not sure if it's every NFT that of every Bitcoin NFT that has this, or if it's something different, if you get it thrown into a lottery for it, but he's giving away like two tickets to his, what is it? Mark, the Florida. Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. Mar-a-Lago. So there's like invitations to come to that for something. Right. So 
I mean, I, I think you're going to see a lot more of, or you are seeing a lot more of that in NFTs where the NFT is is tied to some sort of real event too, whether it's a concert or party or, or what, but it's kind of your, your ticket to get in there too. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that was kind of the game, the NFT game with the the monkeys, the, the apes. Like it got you into a club, right? If you owned one in the metaverse, you could go to certain places. So that it seems like... It seems like that's one like early thing they're trying is to figure out if they can make NFTs kind of a a credential, you know, because you can't copy them, you can't, you know, it's got to be tagged to you. So they, uh, we'll see if that works. Yeah, I think they were trying to do that in real life too. At certain certain times, like I don't know if it was like this is the club only for somebody with these NFTs, right? But hey, we're throwing an event here to get in. You have to have this NFT kind of thing. So yeah, that's. It's interesting to see whether or not it's going to be successful. <laughs> we'll see, but yeah, it's kind of always fun to see what everybody's trying out there. So Terraform Labs is just filed for Chapter 11. If you remember them, they had the Terra USD and Luna and all that. So Doquan is, I guess, being extradited from Montenegro, and they are looking at, I think it's, they have about 500 million in assets and about that much in liability. <laughs> so they're filing for chapter 11. So who knows what that's going to be? Of course, it's another bankruptcy for to get kind of filtered out of the system and, and everything that happened there. But it is, I think there's a lot of people that lost a lot of money on Luna and Terra USD when they collapsed. We're, we're, we're digging back out of that hole still. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's like hang him high so everybody can see. So that because we're we're like entering into another bull run, which is like scam market boom time. So You're, just maybe it'll maybe the time will work out. So they're like, oh, this guy's toast. Sam Brinkman, <laughs> SBF's in jail forever. This guy's in tr deep trouble. So maybe maybe instead of scamming everybody, maybe there's a better way for you to make money. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Montenegro, there is. Zuzalo. I don't know if you've heard that, but it is a kind of a pop-up city event in Montenegro that Ethereum, I think this is the second year that they've done it, but Vitalik was actually pretty big into it. And I don't know if he put up some of the matching Ethereum for it, but it's like 250 ETH. So you're talking about 600K of dollars that is being put up in is available for companies to kind of come in and get some of this money to do development on Ethereum. The catch to all of it is that you have to have at least one team member um, at this pop-up event in Montenegro. So it was very almost secretive. I think there's only like 200 people that attended and there was no details really on the web. I think the only thing that everybody found out about it was some of these YouTubers and stuff like that, they were posting selfies with Vitalik on their social networks. And they're they're expecting for this type of thing to happen around the world, I think are hoping, but it is kind of interesting where these communities get together and talk about how they can make their networks better. Well, two thoughts. <laughs> One, like that's a lot of money to just kind of rub elbows and network to the thing that makes me want to buy Ethereum the least is seeing Vitalik. <laughs> so to pay $600,000 worth of Ethereum to, to see Vitalik, I'm like, uh, you know what? Just take the rest too. 
No, 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 no. They're not paying. They, I think Vitalik put it up, so they're getting it. They're trying to get a piece of that. So they're coming uh, for free and trying to get a piece of that money to do development for their company. So it's not uh, costing them anything other than a week of their time. Okay, well, that makes more sense because uh, yeah, if for Vitalik giving away value in order to come and see it makes more sense to me. Okay, I missed that. Got it. Yeah, okay. you have to pay. Yeah, me I, to see I, I'm still. I'm wondering <laughs> still in like Davos mode, where you have to yeah. pay a whole bunch of money in order to kind of be a part of the club, and and be a, a part of the part of the elite. So at least that's at least it's like inverse Davos. You have to sacrifice one of your team members to spend a week with Vitalik in order to have a chance <laughs> of getting some of his money. Oh man. So speaking of Ethereum, still. Consensus, which is one of the main developers for Ethereum, just released that they are going to allow for MetaMask staking. So, which is kind of interesting. MetaMask, of course, is their wallet that they use and one of the most popular Ethereum wallets out there. But it would allow you to deposit 32 ETH or any multiple of 32 ETH, and then you'd be able to stake it on your own. And what consensus slash Metamax would do is they would handle all of the back end, the hardware, all the tools that you need typically to run a node, and they would take 10% of the profits. So it's for those people that have the 32 ETH but just don't want to put the financial backing into running a node, now you can do it. I think the total staking rewards right now are like 4.26%. So you're losing just under half percent of that to consensus for, for doing that. But I mean, it's kind of interesting. Uh, my worry is I'm not sure if it's completely, I guess you hold your own keys at that point too, if you're staking in, I, I, don't, I don't know. So I, I'm not sure how that part works, but it's still kind of a, a cool idea that you don't actually have to have the technical expertise to run a node. Somebody else can do it for you now. Yeah. I I, so you can stake ETH on Coinbase and I'm not sure what the yield is coming back, but there's no, there's no minimum like 32 ETH in order to stake it. So I'd imagine they're doing kind of the same thing, like pooling the, the staked ETH or no. is that, no, that's different. no, so they're doing your own. So you have to have 32 ETH to stake a node, right? Right. Yeah. So they are doing, you would stake your own node, but you're paying for your own. So you have to do it in multiples of 32 ETH. Uh, uh, so the, this is like, this is like node validator node. You're like renting their validator node and you're parking you, your ETH in it. Yeah. You're, you're almost creating your own validator node that they're running for you. They're Got taking 10% of the rewards as what, how, why they justify running it. You don't have any cost in dealing with running a node other than that 10% of the rewards. Um, and, and I guess the good news is consensus in the last two years hasn't had any slashing fees, which that's the big worry you have to have when you're running a node is if you get slashed, you could lose some of your 32 ETH, right? So at least they're not doing anything bad. <laughs> but Whatever, man. Like, this is the stuff that we're like, ETH isn't going to become adopted in a, in a mainstream way. It's like, okay, I've just kind of figured out, or I understand enough about staking and validator nodes and the costs associated i do not understand slashing and if i were an investor and it was looking at this i'm like oh at random i could just get lose eth so if you try to do something nefarious on the blockchain 
that's the penalty, right? I mean, right now, what Bitcoin is doing is proof of work, and they're having to invest a ton of money and a ton of energy into d determining the next block. Proof of stake is, hey, um, we're going to put up our stake, and that if you find out that we're trying to do something wrong, you take some of our stake, right? And that's called slashing. Um, so it, I mean, it makes sense because it penalizes somebody for trying to inject a, a legal block or do something wrong in there. Uh, so as long as you don't do that, then you're fine. Uh, but so, I mean, that's, that's how you have to do it with proof of stake, right? It, it's the only right. way it makes sense. So that's, so that would be the risk if you were pooling your staking, your ETH staking with some pool that that pool would try something fishy. And then you would you'd get hit. Okay, so there so there is like a, a little bit of third party risk on that if if they try to do something fishy or just do something wrong, I guess. Yeah, and I think it has something, and maybe I'm making this up, but this is what I felt like I read a long time ago, where it's the other nodes are kind of double checking everybody too, right? So if you run a node and you try to do something fishy, and I find out that you did it, you're going to get slashed, and I'm actually going to get some of those rewards that you got slashed with. So yeah. it, it's reason for me to kind of take a look and make sure that everybody's doing something properly. To, yeah. Know. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it just, this sounds like, Hey, we're going to get away from proof of work and we need to make things more complicated in order for proof of stake to make sense. No, okay. they're all, they're all complicated in their own ways. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm learning. The more I learn, the more I'm like, yep. Okay. That's <laughs> it's like patches on patches on patches. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was, I think, most of my random stuff for today to talk about. I'll throw in the Jamie Diamond comment. He was at Davos and apparently he's just sick and tired of talking about Bitcoin because he was like, oh, we really have to talk about this stuff again. And then he went into the whole human trafficking and, you know, it's only good. It's only good for, for those things as a pet rock the pet rock that's also good for transacting in a hundred billion dollars a year in human trafficking and drug trafficking and all these nefarious actions. And that comment alone is, it boggles my mind because it's like, Hey, this thing's useless, except for it's wildly useful for nefarious purposes. It can't be useful. The, the nefarious, the way they use it in criminal activity has no, no good way to use it for other markets, but it's a pet rock. And this is the same guy who's like JP Morgan was the bank that Epstein used. So if you want to, if you want to talk about human trafficking, they paid fines for banking Epstein after, after he was in trouble. And so it's, it's just constant garbage, but nobody pays attention. They only hear, hear the headlines. So it's, I feel like he's, you know, in one hand, he's playing defense for the banking sector. And on the other hand, he's cranking up the crypto side of JP Morgan and trying to trying to play both play both sides so it, it's just funny and it, it and then you know to, to kind of keep going on the davos thing javier malay from argentina flew to davos commercial right probably the only person there that wasn't on a private jet and then got up there and basically blasted all of them for the elitist you know kind of communal everybody get along stuff and and you know capitalism's not the way we need to share and redistribute wealth and he basically just told him that's garbage that's what destroyed my country that's we were we were we, our country was great we were a top 10 gdp country in the world we had resources and everything and we started you know the the government kept going down this path 
that you guys keep talking about like it's good and it completely destroyed my country so heads up i thought it was pretty awesome and that was like he just said it straight to everybody's face that's amazing so i did not read anything about that but i don't have to go look it up for sure dude on twitter so somebody's got an ai program that had the video of him and so the first time i, I listened to a little bit it was a translation over you know what he was saying in spanish well someone has an ai program that translates the spanish in that person's voice and makes their mouth move to match the english so you can watch him do his speech in english and it looks and sounds pretty daggum good so it's like well okay there's a huge awesome way to use ai because if you can if you can say anything in your native language and it can get translated and it sounds you can speak to everybody you know uh, yeah. So there, there's a cool one. Uh, David Sachs from the All In podcast retweeted it like three or four days ago. It was it, it's pretty neat. Yeah, it's awesome. Perfect. Well, a lot of things that were interesting that happened this week, and as usual, I'm sure there'll be a lot more things next week <laughs> for us to talk about. Yeah, I, I feel like we're ramping up. It, it'll be a little slow for a few months, and then we'll have the having, and then it'll be a little slow, and then it'll be all on. Full blow, full full go. Yeah, I mean we're three months from the happening, but I still think that marks time frame. There's going to be some some fireworks at some point with everything happening. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here in the next quarter or so. Yeah, bring it on. How great talking with you. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Jason. Thanks. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers. I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.